Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. Stephen Blue is the CEO of Miller Ingenuity, a keynote speaker and best-selling author of five books that teach senior leaders and CEOs how to increase profit, take market share, and beat their competition. He's addressed audiences at Harvard Business School, the United Nations, and Carnegie Hall. He created and authored the League of Extraordinary CEO series, a monthly CEO advice column in the American City Business Journals. He serves as CEO in residence at Winona State University. Thanks so much for joining me today, Stephen. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, Diane. Uh, I, I, I've always loved the chance to talk to someone like you. Ah, well, I always love the chance to talk to someone like you. So <laughs> this will be great. Yeah. Okay, so so um, and I'm really am so glad that we are talking because I think the conversation we're about to have is critically important for um, our listeners. And I want to start by asking you to share with them the first signs that a company is experiencing a silent business killer. And maybe we should start with what are the silent business killers? Sure, well, you know. Uh... There, there used to be seven that I identified. I think I wrote about them in my first book. And uh, now I have about eight or nine uh, post-pandemic, if you will. But probably the most important one of the silent business killers is when everybody makes nice in meetings. <laughs> is how I describe it, right? And one of the things I hate to hear, no one that works for me ever does this, but uh, I used to hear it when you're in a meeting, and you know you're dealing with maybe a controversial issue or any issue for that matter, and uh, someone says, "Well, let's take it offline." Oh. And that's about the worst. That always means every single time, Diane. It means well, we don't want to talk about it in front of the boss because it's you know it's like conflict, and and there may, and he may think there or she may think there are problems, and we don't want the boss to know there are problems. And so what happens is typically. Um, Conflict doesn't get resolved. Problems don't surface to the level that they need to be to be uh, fixed. And they just sort of, you know, bubble and bubble and bubble until they get worse and explode. I'll give you a great example. I, I did a uh, keynote speech for a major medical device manufacturer last year. And it was a custom speech. Normally, I just have, you know, speeches I take off, off the shelf. Sure. But they wanted a custom speech because they were forward thinking. And they said, you know what? We Safety is so critical for us and uh, quality is so critical for us, we want to know what signs we should look for that indicate we're, we're losing that focus. And so I did some case studies, and I based my whole keynote speech around uh, mostly uh, NASA and the Challenger disaster and oh, yeah. Boeing with the 737 MAX disaster. Okay. Uh, and then I also did uh, Takata, an airbag manufacturer. 
But in every one of those cases, Diane, uh, there was all kinds of warning signs about the problem that they were about to have. And they were at the lower level of the, uh, of the organization and there was conflict surrounding it all over the place. It wasn't like it wasn't known, uh, but they chose not to uh, deal with the conflict and they just sort of like buried it. And uh, then the, as a result of that, that's basically what happened to all three of those organizations. And I call it Minnesota, I happen to live in Minnesota, so I call it Minnesota nice. Everybody wants to be nice and nice and nice in meetings. And uh, I advise CEOs that if you have conflict, well, you do have conflict, Sure. Find it and deal with it productively. Don't don't ignore it. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's so funny. Um, people think that they're being nice when in reality, what they're doing is not nice. Yeah. Ultimately. That's right? exactly right. It is not nice and it does a disservice to the organization. But, you know, sort of people, I don't know, maybe it's just human nature, Diane, uh, human tendency is, you know, we, we all like to avoid conflict. We don't like yeah. conflict. I don't like conflict. And so uh, they sort of hope it kind of goes away, but conflict never, never, ever does go away. And organizations are full of them. Uh, if they're not, there's something wrong because conflict is how you make all progress in an organization if you productively deal with it. Well, exactly. And, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking maybe the problem is, is that we look at it as conflict when it doesn't have to be combative. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. Right. I mean, I feel like right. we've got this mindset around it. That's what's really getting in our way. Well, it, it, it is, Diane. And that's because uh, most executives and most uh, senior leaders are not uh, trained in how to productively manage conflict. Uh, to your point, uh, conflict does not have to be comfortable uh, and it shouldn't be comfortable. And I, I did a, a podcast the other day and someone said, yeah, but if you're, if you're going to deal with conflict, people will hate each other. It's no, not, a, not mm -hmm. if you do it the right way. If right. you give people permission to raise conflicting issues, if you teach people how to productively manage through conflict, it can be a very, very, very powerful weapon. But if you just sort of throw it out in the middle of the in the middle of the conference room, you'll say, "All right, you guys, this is conflict. And I don't like conflict." So you, you guys, <laughs> I, had, I had a boss once, and he said, "You guys go fix it, and then come back and tell me when you're done." Ugh. That's the worst thing you can do. <laughs> my mother used to make my sister and I go into our room, and she would say. Don't come out until you're getting along or one of you is dead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> Thank goodness. Until one of you is dead. <laughs> you know, sooner or later you decide to get along because you want to leave your room. But yeah. Uh, but that, that just reminded me of that with, you know, it's, let me know when you're done. Well, oh, I'll my. give you, I'll give you another one. Great. Um, when your sales people work for the customer that's that's a sign of uh, one of the seven what i saw called seven deadly sins now everybody knows you know any good sales guy will say yep the customer is number one everything starts with the order customer's always right and all mm -hmm. that stuff i understand that mm -hmm. but I, I i got some bad news for most ceos your customer they don't want you to have any profit Right. They want to keep making you lower your costs, uh, excuse me, lowering your price, lowering your price. They keep inviting competition in. And the last thing they want you to have is profit. So, you know, uh, you shouldn't be dependent on your customer's goodwill for the 
success of your business. And when sales guys see what happens to Diana sales guys, they're generally out there and they're not, you know, at corporate and they're not in, you know, the headquarters. And yeah. so they're spending all their time with their customers or they're spending all their time, whatever, but they tend to go on the golf course. They tend to go to, they love to go to trade shows so they can bring their spouses and have dinners on the company and play golf with the, their customers. So they end up being friends yeah. with their customers. And they're, they're not supposed to be friends. They're supposed to be friendly, but not friends. Yeah. And the problem with that is when they're friends with their customers, friends don't like to raise prices on friends, do they? Right. And so you have to, uh, and there, there, there has to be a balance there, but you have to keep bringing them back into headquarters, keep aligning them with the company and making sure that they understand which side of the bread the butter gets on. Because it is true that everything starts with the order, but without manufacturing, without engineering, without marketing, without uh, all kinds of other things, uh, that, that order would be uh, useless. And, that, and that's one of the biggest silent killers that I, uh, that I see in most organizations. They're just the customers running the show. Yeah, right. And <clears throat> I've noticed that there ends up being a conflict between operations and sales because salespeople will say, yes, we can do fill in the blank no matter what the the prospect says yeah the salesperson will say yeah of course we can do that and then they go back to the office and the and the operations people are like we can't do that well you have to make it happen and so sometimes you do you know sometimes you you sort of do the whole pretzel thing but you're not making money that's right and uh and that is a perfect example of what happens the sales guy is always going to say yes unless you unless you discipline him to not say yes uh, all the time but that, right. that their instinctive reaction is that of course we can do that and then they come back the ops guy says no yeah. no no we can't do that and then uh, then they're the sales guy's in an uncomfortable position right he has to go back to the customer and say no we can't do that and again they're friends with them and they don't want to do that but uh, that's what causes all kinds of organizational conflict and and i had a sales guy he was head of sales and uh with sales guys, if you're not careful, they drag the organization through all kinds of consternation, all kinds of excess costs, all kinds of frustration and anger yeah. because they promise things that can't be delivered or they promise things that they, they did, don't even know what they're promising. So this guy, he would say, well, we've got to get this order no matter what. And I'd say, well, what does that mean exactly? I mean, what does no matter what mean to you? Well, the ops going to have to do this. Quality going to have to do that. And he didn't even know. And uh, the organization is like, oh, my God, uh, for us to get that order, we'd have to jump through so many hoops that it would just be probably like to your point, Diane, it, uh, it wouldn't be profitable to do it. And right. Guys like that are, are, are really Dangerous. toxic. Uh, and, and actually, uh, to tell you the truth, I had to take him out because he wouldn't stop doing that. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. And that's the other uh, side of that coin is uh, organizations tend to treat sales like like superstars. Yeah. And they treat them like gods and uh, they could do no wrong. And so they let them get away with all kinds of murder. Yeah. I mean, they fudge their expense reports. They, you know, they make all kinds of promises that can't be delivered. They they, 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 they're never on time. They never do anything. They hate the organization. You know, they're, they're, they're superior to anybody inside. And uh, the ones that are that destructive, the only thing you can do is, you, you know, if it's early in their career and early in your relationship, Diane, you could say, let me take you under my wing here. Let me advise you. That's really not the way you ought to be behaving. And if that doesn't work, you just have to ask them to leave the organization. 
Yeah, for sure. Right. Because they're right. not better than anybody else. And uh, when you treat them that way, everybody else feels inferior. And, you know, I'm sure you would agree with people feeling inferior in the company. That's not a good thing. No, it is not a good thing. No, absolutely. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Um, so, okay. So I believe that's two of the silent killers. Yep. There's, there's seven or eight of them. Let me, let me uh, take you to what is the top of mind for me today and what is the most important one today. Okay, great. A- any one of those. Well, I'll, I'll, let me just uh, digress a little bit. Anytime uh, the organization, the CEO sits back and thinks, I got this CEO thing down. Everything's fine. Everything's going great. Whenever everything you think is going great in the organization and you don't dig in to find out what's not going great, that's one of the biggest silent business killers. And and people want to think everything's going great, right? Your CEOs want their boards to think everything's going great. They want the shareholders. They don't ever want to admit there's anything going wrong. So so they don't go digging for things. And I learned over the years, Diane, um, that anytime I feel things are, anytime I felt things are going great and I sat back and relaxed, uh, something bad happened. And, and, and I didn't know it was going to happen. So now, uh, since I've learned that, whenever I'm, uh, actually lately I've been thinking things have been going great. Whenever I think things are going great, I start digging in to say, okay, what, and what am I not seeing here? What am I missing here? What is the silent business killer that's that's out there that I haven't yet uncovered or identified? And how do you do that? You, you just by asking questions, uh, by walking around, getting into the factory, spending time with your sales guys, giving them permission to tell you what is not going well. And most CEOs, I shouldn't say most CEOs, a lot of CEOs uh, don't give people permission to do that. No, they don't. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. They yeah. uh, and when you do that, and it only has to happen once, Diane. You only have to tell the boss something that's not going well once, and when he uh, takes a sledgehammer to you, you'll never do it again. Absolutely. You know, you'll just you know yeah. sort of massage it, and 
it's like uh, in the uh, 737 uh, MAX disaster, uh, I, I tell CEOs all the time, the engineers at the bottom of that organization knew that was a disaster in the making. If they extended that platform, while that was cheaper than building a whole new platform, I get that, extending that platform had all kinds of safety risks in it. And, and they were very clear about that at that level of the organization. But what tends to happen is as the, uh, as the messages go up, they get altered. They get repackaged, they get repurposed in, in every part of the organization, every level and every department has their own interests and their own bias. And, uh, and it's not necessarily evil, but it, but it is self-serving. And so by the time, because I, I, I asked CEOs when I did this uh, speech, I said, do you think the CEO of uh, Boeing knew that that thing could uh, end in a disaster and said, let's do it anyway? Of course he didn't. No. He, he was never told that. And so the message starts at the bottom. This is one of the other silent business killers, how messages get uh, altered and, and uh, repurposed and packaged as they move up the organization. Start at the bottom. It could be a disaster if we do it. We shouldn't do it. Then it goes up a little bit further. It's like, well, you know, engineering is kind of concerned about that, you know. But, you know, I, they said they could probably do it, which, by the way, they never said that. And then by the time it gets to the top of the organization, well, you know, there are a few concerns in engineering, but they said it's not a problem. Just give them a little more money, give them a little more time, and they'll be able to uh, they'll be able to solve it. And that's what kills uh, most organizations, and certainly what's caused what caused that uh, 737 Max disaster. Um, th this is this is so unfortunately um, makes sense. I, I wish it didn't, but uh, but it does. Um, and it's interesting for me because just recently, I am a firm believer that if you're having a, as a consumer, if you're having pro a problem with a big organization and you're not getting a uh, resolution, go to the CEO because the CEO has no idea that's going on. That's right. Right. Yep. And, and I have a friend who's going through something right now with her business, with a major corporation. And I said to her, she goes, I'm just thinking I might have to go to the CEO. I said, I don't know what you're waiting for. <laughs> just go. Cause he has no idea yeah. this is happening. So they yeah. say what happens with the consumer is the consumer hears, Oh, these are your values. Great. I'll do business with you. But then they don't experience those values. Right. Okay, but the CEO really thinks that's what's happening. But as you said, the information isn't getting up there that there's a problem that needs to be solved. So no, it's not. And I'll, I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, it's what I call bumper sticker values. They look good on a boardroom wall. They look good in an annual report. And the, probably, you know, my favorite example of that is airlines. Uh, uh, airlines, every airline you can name has superb values. We yeah. love our passengers. We love our customers. We do anything and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so if that's true, why do flight attendants all the time do galactically stupid things to the customer, <laughs> right? And then, and then why does the CEO automatically jump to the defense of the flight attendant before he even knows the facts. Yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you why, because he's looking at his values. You know, United's a great example of this. They go, they go, wow, yeah, we just love, respect our customer. You know, they treat dogs better than they do customers with United. And so he looks in the boardroom wall and said, we treat our customers with, so therefore I know it had to be the customer. It couldn't be my employee. 
And, and that happens all the time. And I'll give you another example. You remember the Wells Fargo debacle where they- Oh my God, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, so they defrauded two over 2 million uh, uh, yeah. customers made with ghost accounts, right? Yeah. At that time, I don't remember exactly, I could quote it if I had one of my books in front of me, but at that time, one of their values was we we treat everyone with the utmost integrity and respect, and we never right. do anything like, right. Ugh. Okay, so if that's true, how in the hell could they have defrauded 2 million of their customers? Right. But of course, it wasn't true. No. Uh, this, this is to your point, Diane, the CEO was deluded. Yeah, thinking that and he had I bet he had no of course now he's not even in banking. I bet he had no idea that was going on at lower levels. But you know what, how it happens. This is another of the uh, silent business killers when you put profit above all else. Yes. Thank you. Now we all have to have profit, right? Sure. We're, we're for profit businesses. But when you put it above all else, and the CEO makes that declaration down below in the organization, they don't know what profit no matter what means right right the ceo knows it doesn't mean no matter whether it's legal or not it doesn't right. mean no matter whether it's toxic or, but people down below they will they'll cook the books they'll create ghost accounts as in the case of uh, wells fargo they'll do all kinds of manner of dumb uh things in order to hit the number and uh that's the problem uh, if if it's always profit no matter what i mean that's that heads for disaster and that's one of the silent business killers that's one of the big ones well and you know the other thing that always bothered me about wells fargo is um that over 5000 people lost their jobs because they did what they were told to do now there's an argument for okay why didn't they just quit but i'm pretty sure it happened during a time where jobs were really hard to find yeah. but you know, it, it, it's like I have this thing that that we are stewards, that we are stewards of our customers, of our vendors, of our employees, of our business, you know, that, that we should be stewards. And they weren't a steward of anybody when they did that. No. So, you know, then you can't say that you, you know, you care and nurture and support your employees because you don't. Yeah, these edicts from on high, most people ignore them anyway. Yeah. Why? Because they know there'll be a, uh, that's just the edict du jour of the week. If they right. wait long enough, it'll go away and another one will come along. And it's just, uh, yeah. I'll give you another example. I, I worked for a company once where uh, the, the division I was in, it's profit no matter what, profit above all else. Okay, fine. So that, that causes all kinds of infighting in the organization, right? Yeah. Operations is pushing sales. Why aren't you getting more sales? Sales is going, well, I could get them if you would let me, if you'd ship it out, all that stuff. We had a guy who was in charge of manufacturing and uh, he was incentivized by what went out the back door. He, he wasn't incentivized by what profitably went out the back door. He wasn't incentivized by orders, real sales that needed to be shipped. He was incentivized by, so what he would do at the end of the year, so he could make his bonus on like the 28th of December, we were on a calendar year, he'd load up a bunch of trucks with product that hadn't been sold, and he'd have them drive around the city until January 1st. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. It, it sounds unbelievable, but this happens every day because uh, uh, companies, they, they, they confuse people, right, with the in, incentive programs. 
and they cause conflict and interdepartmental infighting because everybody's got conflicting goals, right? Let me give you an example. This may sound dumb, but it's not, not, not far from being dumb. Quality guy gets incentivized to make sure nothing ever goes out the back door that has any defects in it at all, right? Zero defects. Manufacturing guy gets paid to ship everything out the back door, defects or not, right? Yeah. And so they're at cross purposes with each other. And what I do in my companies, and this is another silent business killer, when you, when you have too many uh, confusing and, and conflicting compensation schemes, I have one number uh, that we measure everyone by, and that's called profit. We have a budget for profit and we either hit it or we don't. And of course, departments have their own goals and so forth. But, but when, when, when everybody's working toward this one goal of profitability, you don't run into all this nonsense of people putting stuff out the back door without an order or, or the quality guy wanting to stop every shipment because it might have a defect or two. And it, and it aligns the organization. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. It, it makes it everyone's rowing in the same direction yeah and it's uh and it's every single person blue collar white collar me yep. included we hit the uh, profit budget i get my incentive we don't i don't get it and, and everybody knows it and everybody we put the number diane out there every day when orders come in every single employee sees what the orders were for that day and every month every single employee sees what the uh the numbers were whether we hit our profit budget for the month exactly. or not by the end of the year there's no guesswork. Right. There's no, does the boss feel like giving me a, bonus, a Christmas bonus today or not? Yeah. Everybody knows. And I hate incentive schemes that uh, that are ambiguous and, and, and uh, subjective. Definitely. And, and Definitely. I don't know anybody else that doesn't. Right. Well, and, and it um, there's always then this weird, like there's no trust. I worked for a company where where the and I was in sales and the commission structure was so confounding Call that it. you just had to hope that you were getting what you should be getting because there was no it, it was these weird calculations and no one could figure it out and so then you sit there and you go okay am I really making what I should be making or what's really happening here. And that, so then that doesn't help the business either. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like an algebraic equation. Yes. If this, then that, but this plus that, it's like, yeah. uh, I have I know exactly what you're talking about, Diane. I've seen so many incentive plans in the sales force. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, it's no, but if, if you easier. can't figure it out, how can you be motivated to make whatever it is? Right. You don't even know what it is. Yep. Yep, exactly right. So it it oh yeah. I'm uh, okay. So if I love these examples, if people are listening to this and they're thinking to themselves, okay, so what do I do to combat this kind of thing? What what do you say? That's a really good question <clears throat> because we've covered a lot of territory, right? Yeah, a lot of things that are wrong in most organizations, uh, but it all comes down to uh, two things really: the person at the top. If that person wants to have a, a culture that's productive and uh, and uh, enhancing and uh, progressive, he can or she can. If not, he can't. So, you know, this business, you know, I, I remember the book, it's like, you know, leadership starts at the bottom. That's a bunch of bunk. 
Leadership does not start at the bottom. The poor guy at the bottom can't do a darn thing but what he's told. So if you're going to make change in your organization, you have to start at the top. And what I tell CEOs all the time, uh, because I've done it a bunch of times, is you need to establish the kind of culture. And it used to be when you said culture to a CEO, Diane, they'd look at you like you were crazy. Yeah. Now now they sort of listen to it a little bit. And and what I tell CEOs all the time is you want what I call a Cirque du Soleil culture. Have you seen any of their performances? I have. Well, okay. So when you see that, every one of those performers comes into the, onto the stage that day, all jazzed up, committed to doing better today than they did yesterday, or, or, or at least hitting perfection. Sure. They don't, you don't see the, the one guy going, you know, I, I can't catch you today. You know, I don't feel like catching you today because <laughs> I just don't feel like, it, you know, and you, you, you said something to me yesterday. I didn't like, you don't see any of that. No. And what I, Point that to that as an example, Diana, the culture that everyone should aspire to. They say that that doesn't make any sense. We're not performers. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you right. are performers. And why wouldn't you want that kind of uh, uh, culture in your organizations? OK, so how do you get it? Yeah. First, you start by measuring the culture that you now have, because every organization, Diane, has a culture, right? Sure. So what, what is your culture right now? And don't ask the, don't ask the supervisors because they'll give you the answer they think you, they want you, you want them to uh-huh. say. Okay. Do an anonymous survey at every level of the organization to have this professionally di- designed by a, uh, a, a, an industrial psychologist who specializes in this uh, kind of uh, assessment tool. Okay. Find out what kind of culture you have today. You, you may be you may like what you see, but I doubt it. Yeah. Chances are when you rip that Band-Aid off, it looks pretty ugly. Okay, fine. That's the first step. As every business leader knows, to improve something, you have to measure it first. So find out what kind of culture you have and then define. So now you know how much work you have to do. And then you define what kind of culture you want. My organization is going to be different than yours in some respects. Some cult, some values uh, are are universal, like respect for one sure. another, mm-hmm. right? Like integrity. Mm-hmm. But you know, so you know, there's a core value uh, uh, system of about five of them, and then then every organization might have different ones. So then, once you've got that done, then you tell people, "Here's what we're going to do. This is the kind of culture that I want in this organization. Here's why I want it. Here's all the good things that'll happen once we have it." And by the way, anybody who sort of doesn't want to come along with a new plan, you're probably going to be looking for another job. Yeah. And then throw everything you got at it. Uh, incentive plans, your hiring practices, your the decisions that revolve around termination, your uh, compensation systems, your uh, re- reward and recognition systems. Once you have that, make sure that you're reinforcing it every which way you can as opposed to most organizations which they have conflicting reinforcing signs and it's no wonder people are confused sure yeah yeah i i love that and and part of what i love most about that is tell them this is where you're going and tell them why right right because it has to be tethered to something Otherwise, they're just going to feel like, you know, it's the initiative of the day or the week or or whatever. And they're not necessarily going to buy into it because they're not sure it has staying power. 
That's right. And and the other thing uh, you raise a good point, Diane, is most people are confused as to what companies are trying to do. Yep. Because no one ever tells them. Right. And when you bring it down to the level, and by the way, this is a, a change in culture is a multi-year process. So I advise CEOs, you know, don't try to get this done in the next quarter. Yeah. Because that ain't going to happen. <clears throat> but but people are so confused about what, what a company wants to do and why it wants to do it. And, and some people would be surprised to know that most of your employees really want to help you. Yep. If you give them the benefit of the doubt and you give them the tools that they need and you, get, and you communicate with them, uh, treat them with respect, they will help you. And, and if they won't, by the way, when you had all that, then you got the wrong people. Right. Right. Which is good to know, too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's the problem. I, I, I wrote about this in my first book. There are so many organizations that have toxic employees that, yeah. uh, that they don't deal with them. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, many years ago, uh, my family and I went to a hotel. I don't remember the name of it. I don't name brands anymore because then I get hate mail. <laughs> we walked into the lobby and it was a brand new spanking hotel. Marble on the floor, mahogany all over this place, a phenomenal fitness center. And this place was just absolutely stunning. They had to spend $10 million on this hotel if they spent a dime. Wow. In fact, that was the title of my first book, The $10 Million Employee. So we walk in, okay, get checked in, not a big deal, right? And it was later in the night, maybe 10 o'clock. We go upstairs, the kids were young men. They're, they're whining, they're not happy, they're hungry. So I called down to room service and uh, rang and rang and rang and rang. You've been there, right? Oh, yeah. Try to get something done in a hotel at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> so then I said, okay, I'm just going to, my kids are really on me. So I, I got out of the hotel uh, on the elevator, started to go downstairs. I'd just find somebody. Well, as luck would have it, there was a uh, room service server in the elevator with some trays and food for another room. And I said, wow, this is just my luck. I'm trying to find somebody to get some food. She goes, yeah, fat chance of that. You aren't going to get it for me. Oh, oh my God. Oh yeah. And I'm thinking this person pretty much wrecked this $10 million investment because I'll never come back to this hotel again. No kidding. Right. So that was just an example of a toxic employee and the same message. Then I go back upstairs and I'm like the CEO dad, right, Diane? I, I, yeah. I'm supposed to be problem solving, right? Well, I couldn't <laughs> solve this problem. Okay, fine. Open up the high to bed, no sheets, no right. pillows, no blankets. Now it's 11 o'clock at night. Oh. I'm thinking, oh man, I'm screwed. There's no way I'm going to get anything. Yeah. But I got to try, right? Because I'm the CEO dad. I got to make things happen. I called downstairs to the front desk, explained my problem. He said, I, I'll, I'll have that taken care of right away. Well, how many times have you gotten a promise from the front desk that never happened? Yeah. All the time, right? Yeah. Five minutes later, Diane, the front desk guy himself was at the door of my room with a big smile on his face, pillows, blankets, apologizing all over the hell. And he said, you know what, Mr. Blue? I'm going to put down uh, that they should give you tonight for free based on what you had to go through today. Wow. So on the same night, one employee practically wrecked that $10 million investment and the same night, another one saved it. Wow. That's the difference. And, and every yeah. organization has toxic employees and you can't tell me that somebody doesn't know who they are. Right. The CEO might not know, but the direct supervisor will know who they are. Why don't they deal with them? They're afraid of them. They don't like conflict. Legal says they can't touch them. Human resources said you got to love, love them up. You can't fire them. All kinds of reasons, but they're there. And I advise CEOs all the time. 
dig in, find out who they are, uh, promote and praise and put the, the great ones on your shoulders and the toxic ones, get rid of them. You know what? Because And you won't miss the amount of work that they were doing because they probably weren't doing very much. And that is the key because even these days, what I hear from people is, I can't afford to let them go. We're yeah. short-staffed as it is. And I always yeah. say, uh, you can't afford to keep them. That's exactly right. That right? Is, that is exactly right. Because <clears throat> you're right. <clears throat> they aren't doing much work anyway. And, no. And what they're doing mostly is complaining. <clears throat> and they're bringing everyone else down. Exactly. They're, they're informal leaders, right? I and was so, just going to yeah. say that. And, and when yeah. people look at them, they go, well, you know, if he can get away with like not yep. doing much, why should I? Right. Right. And the good people leave because... They don't right. like that they're getting paid the same amount as someone who's ruined, making their life miserable. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to it. You know, there's yeah. just a lot more to it. Boy, Stephen, I love this conversation and this information. It is so, see, I knew, I mean, it is so critically important for these leaders to hear. Um, so thank you so much for spending this time with me. It's my pleasure. I love the conversation. I love going back and forth with someone like you who really gets it. Oh, thanks. Me too. So <laughs> will you tell the listeners how they can find you, find your books, all that great stuff? Yeah, the uh, the, the best way, easiest way is with my uh, personal website, which is stephenlblue.com. You'll probably put it in the show notes. Yes. Or in my company website, Miller Ingenuity. And I'm not going to try to spell that. That's okay. It's in the show notes. They can find it. Milleringenuity.com. Either one, uh, they're, they're both cross-referenced. Great. Okay. Uh, yes, I will make sure all of that is in the show notes. And as I said, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I think it is critically important, timely, all of those things. So, um, so great. Thank you. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.